1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside Swamp 247 staff writer Graham Hall, and we are back with our second game review podcast of the 2022 season. Florida just played its first SEC contest, a home game against number 20, then number 20, Kentucky. Uh, It was a game that they lost 26-16. A lot to unpack from this one. We spoke with Billy Napier today, being Monday afternoon. It's 2.45 on Monday, September 12th, when we're recording this. And we just left speaking with head coach Billy Napier uh, after that performance. And not a lot of great things to say uh, from the head coach. He said that it was a combination of mistakes. Uh, Bad play calling. He actually said that his staff, he and his staff are responsible for between four and five uh, play calls that put the team in a bad situation. All of that combined resulted in just 16 total points for the Gators, uh, who also allowed 26. Uh, Defense played quite well, though. Billy Napier said one of the the few positives, but let's uh, keep it broad at first here. Graham, I want to know what you thought about the game, just Florida's performance in general. Uh, the big takeaways before we zero in on some some certain aspects uh, of, the, of the outing overall.
1: Yeah, I think it was a performance reflective of Billy Napier's comments from the past nine months. He hadn't really come out and said that this is a team capable of hanging week in and week out with ranked opponents. That was not the message that we had heard from Napier since he arrived on campus. He spoke often of their shortcomings. He preceded Richardson's first year as a starter by saying he has a lot to work on talked a lot about depth concerns, you name it. And I think you saw a lot of that stuff rear its ugly head in the loss to the Wildcats, Anthony Richardson's shortcomings, what he still needs to work on how um, much of a work in progress he still really is. And then I think you saw the benefits, as you said, of a defense that is in a new scheme with new coordinators and is playing at a much higher level as a result. But clearly there is a lot that this Florida team needs to work on if they are going to contend week in and week out with ranked opponents and the rest of the SEC. And and I think that that was the biggest takeaway in my mind. But the other one, and I think we'll talk about this in a second, is that Richardson, for as much as he has dynamic play potential, he clearly, as you saw, has things that he needs to work on that you could label right now, hinder florida's chances and i think that that was the case on saturday zeroing in on his first target on that 65 yard pick six turning it over in florida's red zone the fumble i mean there are many things that richardson still needs to work on and while florida fans should certainly be high on his potential this is something that may not be as overnight as many many people were hoping for jacob
0: yeah i would agree with that i think that Uh, my biggest takeaway from this game was really just that this is a part of the range of outcomes that Florida is capable of right now. Whether or not you view that as a positive or a negative, I don't think it's Billy Napier's fault either way. I think that absolutely there were places that uh, Billy Napier or whoever it was that was making a decision or trying to put players in a certain position, there's an absolute level of responsibility there for a game like we saw. And, And Billy Napier hasn't shied away from that. I think one of his big points is really that a loss is a team effort. He said it immediately after the game. There are hundreds of people that contribute to a football game's outcome. And in this instance, Florida's hundreds of people didn't do the right things. And whether that was in the lead up to the game, whether that was during the game while the clock was running, whether that's halftime, whether that's pregame, we won't know. But we can tell you, based on what the head coach is saying, this is something that he views as an organizational failure. Losses are a reflection of the team, not necessarily of an individual. And in that respect, he felt like Florida did not do its best. Now, I also think it bears mentioning everybody is still growing. Everybody is still learning. Billy Napier is trying to figure out exactly the best way to operate with the players that he inherited. He, he does not have his own roster yet. This is not in his vision. He's trying to execute a game plan that the personnel might not necessarily be best suited for 100% of the time. And that's all part of a coaching change. Billy Napier is in a new spot. His players are having to adjust to him. He's having to adjust to them. And I think we saw a lot of disconnect in this game where Florida had miscues all over the place on offense. Uh, I thought that the play calling in certain scenarios was probably not uh, what it needed to be in order to get Florida into the most advantageous situations. And again, you combine all of that and it turns into what was, truthfully, a very ugly loss. Now, do I think that this is a moment for panic? I don't, not at all. I think that Florida fans who watched Saturday's game and felt discouraged, That's natural and expected. Do I think that this was end of the world? Everybody who exists within Florida's operation is, you know, no better than bad and needs to be out of the program in a year from now? No, I think that that's a a gross, uh, you know, overreaction to what was absolutely a a bad game for the Gators, but not nearly something to be long-term panicked over. Uh, Let's talk about Anthony Richardson Graham. He finished the game 14 for 35 passing with 143 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. If you didn't do the math uh, as fast as I said it, that's a 40% completion rating. Uh, It is the lowest yardage total, 143 yards. Uh, He became the first Florida quarterback to throw for under 150 while attempting more than 30 passes in the same game since 2016. Uh, This was an uninspiring performance for the Florida quarterback. You mentioned uh, just a couple minutes ago, that this is also a young guy and something that people might want to keep in mind as we go through this season. But uh, let me let me give you the floor here. What, what did you think generally of Anthony Richardson's performance? Uh, what were some of your takeaways and how do you think people need to proceed uh, from a mental and perspective standpoint?
1: Yeah, I don't want us to gloat in any way here, but if you've been following our coverage throughout fall camp and And even in the spring, I think that you did get the sense that maybe while while Jacob and I were very high on Richardson's potential, we had got the sense through people in the building and from comments around him that there was still a lot of work that he needed to do. And I I think that those comments at the time were a little bit startling for some because many people have wanted to believe that Richardson is going to go out there and do something Cam Newton-esque, leave Florida to an undefeated season and be a Heisman Trophy contender. And while that still may be something that is in the cards for him, I I think that what Florida's coaching staff has been focused on with him is is less so his dynamic play ability and his athleticism and his frame, but it's all the finer aspects of the game, the finer quarterback mechanics that I think he needs to continue to work on. And, And I think you saw a lot of that stuff rear its ugly head in the loss to the wildcats i mean this is a guy who still based off where he was in high school and based off his time in college he still has issues with things like footwork um you know the mechanics of his throw he has a very good arm but the mechanics in terms of especially his accuracy at times i think there is a lot he still can can work on um, stepping through his throws this is a guy who I think needs to work a little bit more in the read option, which is something that Florida definitely wants to use with him at quarterback, and he's going to need to continue improving for them to want to do those things with him because there still is work that he needs to do. If you're listening to this and you think that I you know, am down on Richardson in any way, I'm kind of just being one of those parents that is you know, nitpicking every little detail because they want someone to be perfect. Don't get me wrong, Richardson is, I think, still the best quarterback by a, a long shot on Florida's roster, but if you are going to hold him to this incredibly lofty standard and use words like Heisman Trophy, I think that it does require a different um, you know, barometer of evaluation in a sense here for this guy where he's going to be under a more significant microscope and you are able to talk about his shortcomings like this. With all that being said, like I just said, and you mentioned Jacob, and you can talk about this a little bit more, but he is a young guy, third year in the program. One of those years was the COVID year. He already was young when he got on campus, just turned 21 years old. And we've seen time and time again quarterbacks come through SEC programs that aren't ready to play until their fourth year. It happened at Florida. It happens at Alabama. It happens at Georgia. Florida is not the only one dealing with a situation like this. Richardson may not be fully ready right now and kind of may be in a trial by fire type scenario, but that really isn't anything out of the ordinary when you look at the developmental timelines of signal callers in the SEC.
0: I think that's very fair. I I would say that uh, inexperience was an obvious factor in Anthony Richardson's poor performance against Kentucky. The two interceptions I thought were very, uh, what I would call youthful. I, you know, you you rewatch both of those plays where he turned the ball over, and I think that you can understand very clearly that this is a guy who made an immature decision, who made a young I don't have enough experience necessarily to prevent myself from doing some of these things, and it ended up being uh, bad. I mean, if you watch uh, his interception, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of his first name, so I apologize, but Kydron Smith, uh, I believe is how you say Kentucky's cornerback's name. He had that ball intercepted all the way, and I'm talking. He had that ball intercepted from the time that the ball was snapped and put into Anthony Richardson's hands. If he threw it to Naquan Wright, that was going back for six points. No question. I encourage you to rewatch the play uh, if you can. Uh, It's very obvious that that's exactly what was going to happen. And the reason I say that, and I think Anthony Richardson would say the same, is because if you watch it, you can see Anthony Richardson turn to try and defensively position himself to make a tackle against an interception before the ball is picked off. He threw it and then started to run back. And that was a situation, he said it immediately after the game, that was a situation where there was just no field reading that went that occurred. There was no look to see. There was no trying to look off the defender if that was the route that he wanted to stick with, try and get right the ball. And I'm not saying that wasn't even the play design. It might have been a quick pass to Naquan Wright. But as the quarterback, there's only so much that the coaching can do. Coaching can tell you, you know, this is the play design. It's a it's a quick pass to Naquan Wright, who was flexed out as a receiver. Uh hundred percent. I, I understand that. But I also think that there's, it, it's one thing to hear the play and to understand it. And it's another to be the quarterback and to see how exactly everything is unfolding and to account for those kinds of things while the play is happening. And that is something that comes with experience plainly. So I think that that's something that you can chalk up to inexperience. I think that the sidearm throw on a pass that was intended for zipperer in the flat with the defender right in front of him that is again it's a young quarterback trying to make something happen that there was no way to make happen it was a it was an aggressive attempt that was not rewarded and I think that these are the kinds of things and Billy Napier has spoken about them that Anthony Richardson needs to see take note of and move on from you know use these things as as an opportunity to mature and so, I I can absolutely understand that there were a lot of fans that were really upset about Anthony Richardson's performance. But I think a lot of that is a byproduct of comparing week one to week two. In week one, you saw a guy who was uh, historically good as a runner, 106 yards, three touchdowns over 150 yards of passing became the first quarterback since Tim Tebow to accomplish those things. Uh, SEC player of the week, offensive player of the week team gets ranked number 12. Yes, you are going to, receive a lot of hype. Heisman word was thrown around a lot. You mentioned that. Uh and then to see him essentially crumble uh in, in the second week of the season in his first SEC game of the year is of course discouraging, but but I think that you said it beautifully. Uh this is an opportunity for fans to recognize that this is a young guy with a lot of potential in terms of his athleticism, in terms of his arm. Uh I think that we've already been able to see some of that potential this year, which I actually think is a benefit. Uh, not necessarily a negative, which I know it, it feels negative right now for a lot of fans based on the performance. But I, if you're going to reframe it, I think that it's we've seen what Anthony Richardson can do, and we've also seen what happens when Anthony Richardson does not play at that level, and it's really ugly. So, uh, yeah, that, I'd say that that's a very fair takeaway. Uh, one thing that I want to zero in on was the lack of Anthony Richardson's running game. We, we hardly saw any of it. He finished the game with just f- uh, six rushing attempts, four rushing yards. Now do remember that uh, sacks are included uh, in that total. They are counted as rushing attempts at the college level. Uh, However, stark difference relative to what he did a week earlier, 11 rushes, 106 yards and three touchdowns against a very good Utah defense. Um, Is there an injury concern? Is this, you know, just steering away from the game plan that worked in week one, which would be a very odd decision. Like how do you view this What's your evaluation of the situation in terms of Florida's play calling with Richardson?
1: I don't think there's an injury concern with Richardson necessarily, but we had talked about this a lot with Florida's issues at signal caller, losing Jack Miller, having guys behind him, two walk-ons who were throwing late into preseason camp, a freshman who has a lot to work on as well. A guy in Jalen Kitna who underwent a procedure in August. I mean, Florida can't afford to lose Richardson. And I think that, you know, you saw a whole lot of shotgun against the Wildcats. And maybe that had to do with the fact that Florida was rotating into second string offensive linemen as well. But you saw, I think, a concerted effort to keep Richardson out of harm's way in that game against the Wildcats. And maybe that's a credit to what Kentucky was doing on defense. You and I had said that. One of the advantages Richardson would have against Utah was that this guy would be facing a defense that had no idea how Florida was going to use him, how he would fare on third and nine, how he would fare on second and short, what they like to do with him. Um, from a you know competitive standpoint, I think a lot of that remained to be seen. There was a very limited sample size. He was kind of used in this alternate role last year where. Teams didn't have a chance to game plan for him, and that was to his advantage. Utah was a similar situation, but you go out there and you put you know, 70 snaps on film and give a defense a week to prepare. That, I think, changes things a lot, and you may already see the perception of Richardson's shift to this guy that if Florida struggles on the first two plays and, and is forced to throw it on third and long, I mean, defenses are playing the pass – I think 90% of the time right now because they realize that this is a guy that they aren't using right now in this option role, this read option role, this guy who is going to be used to run inside the tackles, the guy who is even going to be, you know, running, I think a lot of design plays they are going to have him even get out in the open field. I mean, that's a lot of that stuff is going to be when the play falls apart for him rather than Florida going out and putting him necessarily in harm's way that is a, a significant factor in my mind um that led to i think that performance uh, against the utes the other thing i think you need to say is you know florida's running back room i i, I think that that rotation they're going to continue to get a better feel for but they have to do a little bit more uh, moving forward than they did on on saturday I, I think that you saw more explosion out of the backfield against the utes whether it was trevor Etienne, montrell or even Naquan Wright. I, I actually get the sense maybe that Naquan Wright, a guy who missed most of the last the last year and, and, you know, was used a good bit against Utah for the first time in a long time. I think that that guy may, you know, be, be dealing with some stuff as well because I, he was not his normal self against Kentucky. So I think that, it, yeah, it starts with Richardson and him being able to do everything correctly so that defenses aren't keying in on him and, and they, don't have a game plan moving forward because he's going to make them pay if they with his legs if they do those type of things. But right now he's not doing that. And until he does, Florida's play calling needs to be better. And that's not to admonish any coaches. Again, for everything we just said about how young Richardson is, I think a lot of that stands with the coaching staff. They're only in their second game, third if you want to count the spring game, a couple of scrimmages. That's not enough time, I think, to get a feel for what Richardson can do, what he's great at, where he still needs to work. And I think it's going to take a little bit of time here. So that gets a pass more in my mind. I I don't understand a lot of the reactions of people coming out and criticizing the play calling because, yeah, could they have done four, five, six things better, differently in that game? Absolutely. But you find me a coaching staff that can't say that about themselves, and I'll, I'll find you a liar.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
0: Yeah, no, that's well said. I, I, my brain just keeps going back to, I think he's hurt. I I'm having a hard time. Not, I'm not having a hard time. Not thinking that I here. Here's the reality. I'm going to be very honest with our listeners right now. I think that Billy Napier is a very good coach. Plainly said, I think that Billy Napier uh, has demonstrated in the past that he has a deep understanding of offensive play. Uh, this is a guy who is very hard on himself, as we've seen. I mean, you, you, there, there's been no shortage of examples already. You and I have seen that this is a guy who's big on personal accountability, uh, who will own it when he feels like he didn't do his best to put his his team in a position to win. I am hard-pressed to believe. And, and also, I want to make this clear. This is not... This is not something that I'm hearing. This is not something that I know. This is just my, this is my thoughts. This is my opinion. I think Billy Napier is too smart of a guy to not utilize Anthony Richardson in a similar or identical role in week two after a week one on which he was so excellent on the ground. We hardly saw Anthony Richardson try to run. Forget, forget. You know, there were attempts and it didn't work out because that would be a different conversation. If Anthony Richardson had run the ball 10 times and it was clearly trying to to make something happen with his feet, but was just getting blown up every single time because Kentucky had a game plan for it, different conversation, 100%. I wonder how much Florida's game plan was dictated by, and I'm not saying injury as in, is he going to be okay for another week? Is this going to go on for a long time? I'm talking like, ouch, that hurt in a game it changes the way things look for the next 60 minutes of game time. That's what I'm talking about. We saw Anthony Richardson get tackled or or hit kind of funny in the lower body uh, early on in the game, came away from it with a little bit of a limp. Makes you wonder, how much did that have an impact on him rushing the ball only four times? Only four times? And how much, sorry, six times for four yards, and how much could it have changed other elements of the game as we've written on the site several times How much does it rearrange how things go if Anthony Richardson can run the way he did week one? My belief is that that was not a a, a game plan decision. Uh, That was a circumstantial thing that Florida had to try and deal with and it struggled to do so. Uh, And and granted, I think that there's another conversation that can be had about something like that, where if Anthony Richardson is not at 100% health, what does this team look like? Well, if they play like they did against Kentucky, it's not very good. Uh, I also think that there's something to be said about Florida's skill position groups. Uh, I think that its running backs were very impressive again, especially their their two newcomers, Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne, who we can talk about in a second. Uh, but at wide receiver, I have a lot of questions. At tight end, I have a lot of questions. I wonder about the strength of Anthony Richardson's weapons and who he's going to be able to get the ball to. He targeted Xavier Henderson 10 times. He targeted Justin Shorter eight times. Ricky Pearsall, who I... At this point, I'm convinced is Florida's best wide receiver, got only four targets, caught just two passes, but still finished the game uh, just 11 yards shy of leading the team in receiving yards for the second straight contest. I have a lot of questions about health uh, and how much that impacted this game uh, and whether or not fans need to maybe recognize that and how much does it change the outlook on such a sloppy performance when, you know, there's a possibility that your starting quarterback wasn't okay. I wonder about that. Uh, Let's transition though to that run game that does not include Richardson, Montrell Johnson, Trevor Etienne, Naquan Wright with the three guys who got carries in this game. Florida finished the contest with 144 rushing yards if you subtract the sack yardage. So I say that uh, because if you look it up, it's going to say 136, but the adjusted number is 144. Trevor Etienne also scored his first career touchdown. I love what Florida has at the running back position. Uh, I think Johnson and Etienne are a super dynamic duo. Uh, who complement each other very nicely. They rushed for over 100 yards on just 16 carries, with a touchdown. Both averaged over five yards a carry. Johnson actually averaged 8.9. Uh, how impressed are you, Graham, with just this running back room, uh, particularly those two guys, and and, and what kind of uh, capability does Florida's offense have with these players in the fold, especially looking as good as they do so fast?
1: Yeah. You take out that 40 yard run by Montreal Johnson. And I think that, you know, those stats become a little bit skewed, obviously, but I think that overall you can be very impressed with what Florida has done in the run game, even though I just said a few moments ago that I think that they could have done a little bit more to help Richardson out or that Florida still is going to continue evaluating the ideal split for those three guys. I mean, the same thing I just said stands um, for the running back room as it stands for the quarterback, uh, position. I think that they're going to continue to have to get a better feel of the pulse of who to hand the ball off to, who to bring in where. And so they're not tipping plays, I think is a huge thing. They need to have three guys who are able to do everything in the offense. And I think that a little bit too often right now, you've seen it so that where, where ETN comes in the game, you do get the sense that he is going to be one of the focal points of the offense. And until he can continue improving in pass pro, I, I do think that you'll see him be a little bit more limited than a lot of people would like him to be uh, a little bit behind Johnson and Naquan in the order, even if he has a little more dynamic potential in the open field as for Montreal Johnson. I, I do get the sense that that is going to be Florida's main rusher moving forward. Just what he can do in between the tackles, um, how he can be the goal line back. They haven't really shown this urge to want to run Anthony in short yardage situations and, and has instead handed it off to a guy like Montrell or even Naquan Wright in that position. And that leads me to Naquan. You know, I I said a little bit earlier that I wouldn't have been surprised if he had, you know, gotten a little banged up against Utah. But one of the ways that many people were clamoring for Naquan last season was his ability as a pass catcher. And Florida clearly is still figuring out ways to use him in that regard. I mean, you, you mentioned that throw to him in the flat that was picked off um you know he was great on wheel routes last year uh boot stuff i I think that you need to find a way to get this guy involved in the passing game otherwise it kind of is clear right now that there are two running backs on this roster as capable if not more capable of making something happen and that split i think is going to be something that florida's coaching staff continues to evaluate but right now when that unit has combined for nearly what 100 or 350 rushing yards in those first two games right now it's hard for me to sit back and criticize their their play right now knowing that one of those guys has come back from a fractured ankle one of those guys wasn't on the roster last year and is a sophomore and playing his first taste of sec play and another guy only arrived on campus two months ago so when you look at that room um it's hard not to be impressed with them and and that kind of leads to to what I just said about Richardson, when they're already performing at this level, when you see the dynamic play potential of a guy like Trevor ETN, and you see what a guy like Montreal Johnson can do when given extended time, like he did in that Utah game, it makes it so that you want to see these guys on the field more and more and more. And Florida's coaching staff, I think is going to get a better feel for how to do just that moving forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say that I think I'm surprised Florida didn't run the ball more. In this game, I, I, I think that you bring up a great point. I think that striking that balance is going to be really important for Florida this year. And I actually don't think it was struck perfectly uh, against Kentucky. Florida only ran the ball. I mean, 65 plays from scrimmage, 36 of them off the top of my head, uh, were pass plays. One of those was a sack. So, uh, when it's again, just when you, if you are to look at the stats, uh, do bear that in mind when you see 30 rushes, it's really technically 29. Um, Not enough, in my opinion. That's, I think it's again, this is very fast mental math, but uh, 55% pass is not the split that we were expecting. I think going into this season, you and I said several times, and there are podcasts and articles and all sorts of places where we said it. uh, I was expecting over 55% run from Florida this year. I was thinking between 55 and 60% of the time they would keep the ball on the ground. Uh, and in this game, it was it was just a mid40s percentage uh, in terms of run usage. And I don't think that the game flow necessarily dictated that kind of a split. Uh, you and I actually spoke about it in the press box during the game, I believe in the third quarter. I said to you, you know, if Florida continues to be down by a touchdown deep into the fourth quarter, are you continuing to try and throw the ball given the passing struggles that we knew we had? Anthony Richardson was not, Accurate at all throughout the night, completed just 14 passes. Run game looked solid in moments. I think Flora's offensive line continues to play quite well overall. Uh, do you just continue to run, even though it's going to take time off the clock? And both of our answers were unequivocally yes. You do continue to try and run. The pass game's not working. Receivers are either not open, or when they are, they're getting missed by throws, or you can choose to bleed a little bit of clock, but but run with the guys who are moving the ball better than anybody else on your roster. And in this game, that was Trevor Etienne. That was Montrell Johnson. And yes, granted, one of those rushes was for 40 yards and it accounted for a lot of Florida's production. But in my mind, you can't take that away. It was a 40-yard rush because everything went right. So, you know, I, I think that Florida was, was good enough on the ground in this game that I struggled to, Understand the reasoning behind, really in my mind, shying away from that avenue of trying to move the ball. um I will
1: zero in. And before you before you move yeah, in here, we gotta go ahead. you know we gotta we gotta say you know you often bring last week you brought in your perspective on watching that game. I, I can tell everyone out there now that as the game was going on, as Florida was struggling and was facing a touchdown deficit, Jacob was turning to me repeatedly throughout the game. saying where do they go away from the run? When did they abandon the run? Because that needs to be a focal part of their offense where they're rushing the ball until they no longer can. And I did, did feel throughout that game that they were putting an onus on passing it more than we expect, much so that we wondered when they were going to continue to run you know, the ball or abandon it entirely here, knowing that they really had to kind of start airing it out
0: yeah it was it was definitely quite odd to me. let's uh let's shift the focus to some positives though. I think that this was a, a long game for Florida offensively. Uh, let's let's talk about this defense. I am very impressed with Patrick Tony's play calling. I think that the design of this defense and the deception that it creates is really it's it's really awesome to watch. I think that it's interesting, it's effective uh, and it seems like the players are starting to really understand how best to successfully operate within the system. Graham, what were your takeaways? Uh, from Florida's defensive performance in this contest. Uh, a lot of good, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I got to give you a lot of credit because you were on board the Patrick Toney train before I was, uh, especially I was. throughout preseason camp. His his play calling, his scheme has been fantastic for Florida through 120 minutes so far. I think that he has been you know, extremely sound. Everything I just said about the coaches needing some time to get a feel for the personnel and how to put guys in the best position. I, I think that that doesn't really apply to Tony because he has kind of come in here and perfectly or near perfectly nailed. I, I think balancing the personnel that Florida has with what he wants to do from a schematic standpoint. And you and I have talked often about how this can get even better as Florida gets a full recruiting class and can develop some of the guys that they have. So that they have the athletes that they want on the field in the scheme that they want. Right now, the fact that they are making this scheme work with the returning guys from last season, I think is incredibly impressive. It's a testament to the preparation throughout the last nine months. It's also, of course, a testament to the guys on the roster. I mean, if if you were someone on that roster who went through Todd Grantham's scheme and had everyone criticizing you and coming after your capabilities, your abilities, your talent level, you name it, I think that that would have led a lot of people to you know, become a little bit jilted, upset, whatever you want to call it, um, depressed at, at the thought that people were putting um, schematic issues on you uh, and, and your talent level. The players that returned from last season and are already playing at a higher level within this new defense, I think have to be, feel really, really good that they returned and have been given a better chance to show what they can do. Amari Burney is a guy that I think a lot of people were completely just of the opinion that he he could not be a starter in this defense. And, and while certainly he has, um, you know, he's had his struggles already, He's he's been picked on by tight ends a little bit. This is a guy who has been able to start at star, move over to that weak side linebacker room as Florida goes to some different sets. He provides versatility as a fifth year guy and is incredibly intelligent. I mean, you name it, there's a lot of guys on this roster that are performing at a high level when previously they had not done that. You couldn't say that really. And so I think you need to give a lot, lot of credit to Patrick Tony. Of course, like I said, the buy-in from these players, that they're able to pick up the scheme, have learned everything as quickly as they have, and, and now are, you know, putting it on film. I mean, that game was not lost by Florida's defense. Um, outside of the turnovers there, you you know, they were great in the red zone, really only allowed one real score there, um, I think that you can make an absolute statement right now after just two games that Florida's defense is far and away better than what they were last season.
0: I think that's fair. I, I I am just impressed by how this scheme opens up opportunities for players in several different capacities, but namely in pass rush. This is the kind of scheme that if a, if an opposing offense is not dotting its I's and crossing its T's and really understanding everything that's going on in the field, being very sharp in its recognition of how Florida is moving before the snap, how Florida aligns before the snap. You are putting yourself at a disadvantage and we saw that disadvantage in action throughout this game. Trey Dean has a half a sack to his name. Uh, Javon Dexter shared that sack with Trey Dean, a, a safety defensive lineman half-sack combo. Justice Boone had a free run at the quarterback off the edge because of the confusion that he wasn't picked up by anybody at all, zero, and just blew off the edge and and tackled the Levis violently uh, in the backfield for a sack. And those are the kinds of things that I think that this defense really enables. With guys coming from different parts of the field, as pass rushers, there's going to be pressures that bring more than four players. But what I really enjoy Uh, about watching this defense is that there should always be four guys attacking an opposing quarterback. You just don't know where that, that fourth player is coming from. It could be Brenton Cox coming from, uh, from the edge who, by the way, finished the game with just two tackles, but I thought played far better than the lack of statistics would indicate. He had a pass breakup or I don't know that it was a pass breakup by statistic. It was a, uh, a disruption of the quarterback that caused the ball to pop up into the air and led Javon Dexter to get a tip sack, a, t- a tip interception, huge. Uh, Brenton Cox was in the backfield frequently. And the reason for that is, in my opinion, because teams don't know what he's doing on a given play. At that Jack linebacker position, he's always aligning into the boundary. He could go and cover the flattened zone. He could have a man assignment with a tight end or a running back or who knows, or he's rushing the passer. And if he's not, who is replacing him? Is it Trey Dean? Who's going to come and attack You know, from the top of the field and be a safety who's going to rush. We saw Amari Burney pick up a sack in this game as a replacement pass rusher. We saw, uh, you know, it it happened in the previous week, even though it didn't turn into sacks. We saw a little bit of confusion uh, benefit Florida positively in its pass rush. I also am impressed though with the way that Florida's secondary played for the most part. Uh, And I say for the most part because I think tight end coverage is a major issue for this team right now. Uh, If you rewatch the game, particularly in the first half, you'll notice that Florida struggled tremendously to contain Kentucky's tight ends. Uh, whatever Kentucky's tight ends wanted, they had it a week earlier against Utah, whatever Utah's very talented. I will add tight ends wanted, they had it, uh, opposing tight ends. I believe at this point are now over 200 yards receiving on the season for Florida in just two games. That is not the pace you want to be on. You cannot be surrendering an average of over hundred yards (laughs) receiving to tight ends per contest. Uh, what is the solution to this? Because Amari Bernie is struggling. We saw Ventral Miller make a couple mistakes. Trey Dean was at fault for for a couple as well. How do you remedy this? Is this a is this a personnel issue that's going to be a problem all year? Is this schematics? Is this just understanding? What, what where does Florida need to go?
1: Yeah, I think there's certainly some adjustments that Florida can make from a schematic standpoint, knowing that teams are attempting to pick on them in that aspect of the game i think that florida can attempt to game plan for that and make teams think that they have something they don't have but i think you you did just kind of say it personnel is going to change on this defense in my mind and we've talked about it a lot we've been high on several freshmen from devin moore to chris mcclellan but the one that i mentioned earlier who has started two games at linebacker i think that you will see him play an increased role, and that's Shamar James. I mean, this is a guy who, when he has been out there, has looked very solid in pass coverage. He hasn't really been beat for a lot of you know receptions there. He knows what he's doing, physically capable, and I, I think that you will just see him continue to play a larger role if Florida does get picked apart by tight ends moving forward here into the Tennessee game, especially with that Tennessee game being that first real test for Florida where they're going to face a complete passing attack. I don't think that they've done that yet against Utah and Levis because for as good as Kentucky was, they really lack a true number one wide receiver. I know Tavion Robinson is is really solid and he had hundred plus yards his first week, but he really is not uh, the level of a guy like Cedric Tillman, like that they're going to face uh, on September 24th in Tennessee. I mean, it, it, once they go against a top wide receiver, I, I think you could see, you know, tight ends become an even more significant problem for this Florida defense. And and they have one week to get this corrected a little bit more before going into Knoxville to face them. So I would not be surprised if this upcoming week against USF was a a larger role, more of a trial run in a sense for Shamar James to see how, what he can do in pass coverage, moving forward, get him a little more experience before you see him play an even larger role uh, against the volunteers.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I will, uh, Transition us to our final segment of this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. By the way, we appreciate you listening, of course, uh, and would encourage you to go on over to the site for additional coverage. This is not uh, a full glimpse necessarily at everything that we have going on. Uh, There isn't enough time uh, to dedicate to a podcast like that. However, uh, we do have plenty of ways for you to stay informed, and that's by heading on over to swamp247.com where we have daily content covering all of these things. Uh, The last thing I want to talk about with you, Graham, though, and and there is a story uh, on this on the site, is some of the decision-making from the coaching staff. I mentioned it at the top of the show. Uh, Billy Napier, unequivocally, uh, has not... One thing I appreciate about Billy Napier is that he has not tried to shy away from the fact that he makes mistakes, too. And he said that he made four to five of them in this game. Uh, One play in particular that I want to talk about with you with a decision that really ended up being quite pivotal was a fourth down play, uh, with roughly four minutes left in the contest. Florida was backed up on its own 26 yard line. It was fourth and six. They were trailing 23 17. So it's a one score game. Florida has all three timeouts, long way to go. Do you punt? Florida chose to go for it. They didn't get it. You know, six plays later, Kentucky kicks the field goal that puts the game on ice with, you know, roughly a minute left. They were able to take three minutes off the clock. Uh, if I put the head coaching hat on you Graham, what what would you have done in that situation? What was your reaction to the play call and then I will uh, I will offer my thoughts after you.
1: I'll throw it back a little bit further. I'll take everyone back to when you and I were in the box on Saturday night. you know that for that first fourth down attempt, you looked at me in surprise and said, they're really going for this here And I said, of course you are. you have to go for it here. We clearly disagreed on the philosophy of going for it and i think that that kind of is a microcosm of the decision making process right here i think that a lot of people could have made the case that four minutes was either you know too soon to go for it in this desperate of a situation and many people also felt that you had a head coach who had come out and said scared money don't make money had a quarterback who was dynamic they run a hurry up offense you know if if they're going to be passing here and still want to establish the run, they're going to have to do it with four minutes out, knowing that they could take some, t- some time off the clock because they're going to want to do what they do on offense, and that may require them to use up some chunks. So I could understand both sides of the thinking, and and I think Billy Napier kind of epitomized it well. You know, when it when it goes well, everyone calls you a genius. When it doesn't go well, they call you crazy and wonder what you were doing, and I think that he's someone who is okay with it being that hit or miss in a sense, it being 50-50, where people will say, oh, it worked for you, oh, it didn't work for you, because ultimately that that fourth down play did not lose Florida the game. It, it was Richardson's inadequacies, it was the turnovers. That call was not ultimately of massive consequence to the outcome, but it had a chance of changing the outcome there, and I think that Billy Napier... A lot of the time he's willing to take that gamble if Florida is in a game where they haven't been playing as well as they would like, but maybe need to either disappoint the opposing defense, uh, keep that defense on the field, give your offense a little bit of momentum. There's a lot of things that he probably factors into a fourth down play call outside of just the chances of converting successfully, the momentum swing, a lot of the intangibles. That is something that I get the sense Napier thinks about, but do I think that after missing several right now that he may be prone to reconsidering moving forward? I think that absolutely. That's one of the consequences in the fallout of Florida finding failure in those two fourth down, fourth down fourth quarter, fourth down attempts. Excuse me. I think that could be something that changes his thinking moving forward.
0: Sure. Uh, I don't disagree with that. I also will preface what I say with, I don't disagree with you from a philosophical standpoint. Uh, I think that there are a lot of situations in the game of football where being aggressive on fourth down makes a lot of sense uh, where you, you know, you're either going to benefit a lot from successfully converting the fourth down, or if you don't, you know, yes, it was an aggressive move hundred percent, but are you, is it a risk that was worth taking? Also, yes. I think that there are a lot of coaches who would tell you that there are many fourth down scenarios in which you might not view it as smart to go for it on fourth down and assume that risk where it actually is probably smarter,, uh, where the risk is is worth it because the reward is so great. And the the alternative of punting or you know kicking a field goal, there are ways in which that can go wrong for you too. So you're assuming a risk no matter what you do. I think, however, that all of the things considered, being aggressive and the reward of potentially converting and all of those possibilities in this instance, in, in this game, Florida versus Kentucky, four minutes left, fourth and six, you're down a score the way your defense had been playing, the way Kentucky's offense had been inconsistent, I think if you consider all of that, I don't get the decision. I don't get the move. And here's why. Let's say, in a perfect world, Florida's conversion attempt is successful. Anthony Richardson's throw is not a disaster. It reaches Xavier Henderson, who was open. So here's another thing that I think there are a lot of Florida fans who are upset about this particular play. I think that they wish that Billy Napier had punted put faith in the defense, use the timeouts, see if you can get another chance. I don't disagree with you. I will add that we're having a very different conversation if Anthony Richardson delivers a pass that isn't immediately into the grass and behind Xavier Henderson. If that ball's on target, it's a first down. Let's just be clear. So it wasn't like it was even a bad play call. It was a good play call that worked, that was poorly executed. That being said, we had seen, and it speaks to this perfectly, poor execution all night. We had 55 total minutes, slightly more, nearly 56 of not good execution from Florida. So we knew that positive plays, especially when Florida was passing it, were few and far between. And by that, I mean 40% of them were complete. Forget how much yardage those gained. Only 40% of them actually ended up being a play period. So, I wonder, in, and, and by the way, hindsight is twenty twenty. So I'm, I also recognize that there is a matter of Billy Napier was in the moment and I was not. Uh, so it's easier for me to criticize than it was for him to decide. But there, there was nothing to indicate that Florida was about to go and have its best offensive drive of the game. It was late. They were tired. They had not been successful so far. Anthony Richardson said after the game that he had lost his confidence, potentially even in the first quarter of the contest. And so I have a hard time justifying in my head the decision to go for it, basically 75 yards away from needing a touchdown. You, a field goal does nothing for you in that at that point. So Florida needs a score to keep the game alive and they needed 75 yards to accomplish that score. And that would have accounted for m- basically half of Florida's offensive production on the day, uh a, a passing production, I should say. I just don't agree with the call. I also would say that the defense had been good enough where if you punt it, and I should add Jeremy Crawshaw, who is an extension of the defense, had been very good. He averaged 47.4 yards per kick, punted the ball four times. Three of them were in the 20 within the 20. One of them went over 50 yards at 54. This was a guy who was playing quite well. Why not let him kick it and see if the defense can hold Kentucky to a short series? You burn your timeouts, you get another chance. That's how I view it. If you need to go for a fourth down attempt on that drive, on after the drive where you get the ball back from Kentucky, 100%. I don't know that this was the perfect situation, however, to attempt it. So there you have it. Uh, Our thoughts on the late game decision-making Of Billy Napier, really the whole game. I think that uh, that should do it for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. But before I say goodbye, I will toss it back to the great Graham Hall one more time. Graham, any final thoughts uh, as we wrap up this Kentucky podcast and move towards uh, a game against USF, Gators and USF?
1: Yeah, you dropped a little bit of the nugget in there. I thought you'd go in a little bit further. But yeah, Jeremy Crawshaw, special teams. Let's talk about it real quick. Special teams is extremely solid by Florida, which is something that they're going to need moving forward. Jeremy Crawshaw faced the returning number one punt returner in the nation in Tavion Robinson. He had the most punt return yards last year when he was with Virginia Tech. He was held in check. He just had two returns for eight yards total in that game. Uh, Adam Mahalik, man, gave him a shout out. 50-yard field goal. That was extremely, that could have been huge for Florida in the game, especially considering Kentucky made a couple of special teams errors. There was their missed field goal there, and then there was the safety by the long snapper, which leads me to my last point about special teams. Florida had backup long snapper Rocco Underwood in the game. Marco Ortiz was listed as out after getting hurt in the Utah game. Underwood was very solid, no issues there whatsoever, of course, but I think a lot of people saw how consequential in that game long snapper could be by Kentucky's mistakes, but unfortunately Florida could not capitalize there. So want to end it on a promising note, and that was the play of Florida's special teams unit in a game that is a little bit closer, that unit may be the deciding factor for the Gators moving forward.
0: Well said and shame on me for not bringing it up myself. Uh, I will add one final thought. And it is this um, we did also see, and it did not get talked about necessarily in this episode of the podcast, because there isn't much to update you on. However, it bears mentioning uh, two Florida starters did get hurt uh, in this game. Michael Tarquin, Florida's right tackle and Ventrell Miller, obviously a uh, a key to the defense as many Florida coaches and players would tell you, uh, both of them suffered lower leg injuries, as Billy Napier described it. Uh, we don't know the severity of those. Uh, he said, Billy Napier said that we would get an update on Wednesday, uh, and so you can obviously expect to hear from us about that on the podcast and on the website uh, once we have more information. I will say this though: uh, if I were you, and I were trying to figure out what's going on with with two very important players. Probably wouldn't go into this USF game expecting them to play. Probably no reason to to put two guys who are banged up in harm's way. It should be an easy Florida win. Uh, And so, you know, running those guys out there against a team like that, probably not necessary, but we'll see. Uh, And we'll find out more on Wednesday, and we will keep you in the loop. Uh, And that being said, uh, I think that does it for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. Those are our thoughts on Florida's matchup against Kentucky, which it lost 26-16. Fell from number 12 to number 18 in the AP poll, uh, and now has a little bit of a reset game. USF uh, on Saturday, uh, 7.30 p.m. kick from Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. You and I will be there. We will have content throughout the week uh, getting Florida fans ready for that contest uh, and plenty of other content over on swamp247.com. We would encourage you to go on over there and check out what we have to offer uh, and without further ado i would say that this uh well this is it for the swamp 247 podcast uh for Graham hall my name is Jacob Rudner and we will see you next time stay tuned for more of our content talk to you soon